Today on Ag News Daily. And I do envision that if we fast forward five to 10 years, a seed will be able to tell farmers everything they need, right? Anywhere from fungal pressure, insect pressure, NPK separately, and be able to provide all the information for farmers to farm. Happy Tuesday, October 4th, here on the Agnews Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and to maximize yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. Tanner, what do you know on this Tuesday morning? No, it's a beautiful morning. We get a nice, beautiful morning to wake up to. We're mid-50s, just rolled out of bed. Should become a good day. It's hard to complain. I agree, Tanner. It is going to be a good day, and it's going to be a great day to get some harvesting done. What do you say we take a look at the crop progress report that came out yesterday? Go right ahead. Well, the USDA came in at 20% of the corn harvested and 22% harvested on soybeans. Corn conditions rated 52% good to excellent, unchanged from last week. But harvest really, Tanner, is starting to pick up pace here, uh, especially in states of North Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Kansas. Producers in Iowa and Illinois are also moving right along here, up 8 percentage points from last week, and puts harvest progress 7 percentage points behind last year and two percentage points behind the five-year average. So definitely picking up pace on soybeans there. As I mentioned, 22% of the crop was harvested as of Sunday, up 14 percentage points from the previous week, nine percentage points behind last year and three percentage points behind the five-year average. Most notably, South Dakota, Iowa, and Nebraska are a little ahead of their usual paces. That while soybeans are coming out of the fields slower in Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Yeah, I had uh, found an article. I really wanted to see how Hurricane Ian's impact was on the Eastern Coast farmers. So, Natalie, in a sense, had put together a conversation here with Kevin Matthews out of North Carolina. Said, even though they've only had a couple of days to get working on progress for harvest in North Carolina, just like you observed, Delaney, they surged one of the largest amounts because they were in harvesting in preparation for the hurricane. He stated, Kevin Matthews stated that he ran his combines for nearly 21 straight hours the day before the hurricane hit. And they're very thankful, though, that only little moderate winds and eight inches of rain came. He said, most of my crop is still standing. We're thankful in this area. Some spots only received three inches of rain. And the wind stayed under 50 miles an hour. So at least where Matthews is at, he was happy to state that his crops are still in okay condition. They did lose power for two days, but they're lucky to come out unscathed from the storm. But I would I would beg to probably argue in favor of what the report is saying. A lot of that progress probably came in preparation for the hurricane. And just a reminder that AccuWeather and meteorologists everywhere are monitoring those tropical disturbances that are off in, you know, hundreds of miles away from the Caribbean right now. But as of Tuesday, it doesn't look like any of those disturbances are escalating, which is good news for maybe avoiding another potential hurricane. 
And it's interesting too, you know, as we look at a lot of citrus crop that was damaged down there, the University of Florida put out some estimates that they're worried over 375,000 acres of citrus crops specifically were damaged by Hurricane Ian. In addition, over 200,000 acres of vegetables, 70,000 acres of housed livestock and 95,000 acres of field crops like cotton and peanuts may have been affected. They're saying this likely will increase the price of citrus, peppers, and other vegetables at the grocery store. And it's interesting, Tanner, I just happened to be reading a book that is based in 1935 down in the Florida Keys when we saw most notably the probably worst hurricane in U.S. history on record Labor Day weekend 1935. So it's interesting just as I've been reading this book thinking, oh my gosh, you know, it's not as bad as this that those people are going through down in Florida, but certainly, certainly not great by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, that is a strange coincidence. But listeners, remember for more than three decades, U.S. farmers largely organic have increased their yield with the help of SP1 Classic as fertilizer costs soar and supply chain challenges loom. DPH Biologics is expanding access to their trusted biofertilizer to every conventional acre. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer growers can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer by visiting dphbio.com and reclaim your soil fertility today. Well, Blaney, you're talking about potential rise in some items at the grocery store. What that impacts is all of us. Same thing with the results of the Federal Reserve's actions. So there is uh, pro-farmer editors got together and did an observation of the global economy. So stating that the Federal Reserve and other central banks continue to push the global economy into recession, followed by a potential prolonged stagnation period if they continue to raise their interest rates. The United Nations agency said Monday, the warning comes amid the growing unease about the haste in which the Fed in the United States are raising borrowing costs, trying to contain the surge in inflation. Now, the Wall Street Journal added to this article, in its annual report, the Global Economic Outlook, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development stated that every percentage rate, Delaney, that the U.S. Fed raises lowers the economic output in other rich countries by a half a percent and lowers the economic output in poor countries by eight tenths of a percent. So it looks like even though we raise rates here locally, that they're alarming that the global economy responds outside of our borders. So stating here, a subsequent news conference then fell, followed this article by Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying that the central bank does not take into account the impact of its policies on the rest of the world, but will continue to monitor the world's economy as they look to continue to lift interest rates and bring inflation under control. He says, we are very aware what is going on in other economies around the world and what that will mean for us. The forecast that we've put together and our staff works on is what we will follow and what they say is how we will base our decisions. So quite interesting there now, Delaney, as some major news editors are trying to cause alarm as to how we might be headed for a stagnation in the economic output. 
Well, Tanner, it's interesting, too, when you look at the economic outlook, obviously, there are a lot of geopolitical events that could impact that as well, one of which being the Brazilian election that just headed into a runoff election between the former president, Lula da Silva, and the current president, Bolsonaro. Runoffs like this don't usually happen in Brazil, but are really closely watched, Tanner. And so it's a very close um, close race here. and. Of course, Bolsonaro said that or has started to lay the groundwork that if he does not win, it's because of election fraud and election rigging. Um, But Brazil is, of course, the second largest economy in the Americas after the United States, one of the largest exporters of a lot of different ag commodities and certainly could impact the way farmers are able to farm down there in Brazil, depending upon who wins the election. Bolsonaro is largely pro-agriculture, pro-farmer choices, and Lula is a little bit more uh, socialist, as referred to by some Brazilian folks. So it could be an interesting election ahead of us here. The runoff starts on October 30th. Yeah, that's uh, interesting when you mentioned geopolitical issues that might have an effect on this as well. Looks like last night, coming out of Tokyo in the northern part of Japan, Residents were put on alert via their cell phones, radios, and any public speaker available as North Korea fired a missile over the top of the country for the first time in five years. Residents were told to seek shelter. Local resident, 72-year-old, stated that he runs a small inn in Sutsu and Hamlet on the West Coast. He stated that it made him feel so scared that it brought back bad memories from previous actions. So over the course of the year, we've reported Delaney, North Korea's missile provocations have become pretty frequent. We had 23 tests that we reported on last January. Of course, we've talked about uh, what uneasiness has happened over there, but Tuesday's flyover was too close for comfort. And now we will all sit here and wait and watch as to what that means for the future between those two nations. Well, Tanner, switching tracks here a little bit, got some interesting legislation proposed by Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley and Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown, co-authors of a new act that would make it impossible for foreign investors to get funding through farm credit services. Legislation was introduced that would block foreign individuals and entities both ineligible to obtain financial services through farm credit system. Specifically here, uh, both of those senators are saying to help farmers ensure that they're the ones being able to invest in farmland and making it difficult for new and beginning farmers to get started. They said that they expect part of this to be addressed in the next farm bill but largely was created to block and keep American farmland in American farmers' portfolios. You know, I'm actually surprised that that's not something that's already put in place. I was as well. When you you have discussions about uh, potentially blocking foreign countries from purchasing land next to strategic military outposts, you know, the same thing would go is, if there's government subsidized funding, which I would argue farm credit is a version of that, why would we want to give away that competitive edge to those non-Americans as well? Right, exactly, Tanner. 
Well, I just about wrapped up for news myself today. So listeners, don't forget that for more than three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased their yields with the help of SB1 Classic. As fertilizer costs are soaring and supply chain challenges looming, DBH Biologicals is expanding access of its trusted biofertilizer to cover every conventional acre. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer growers can replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer by visiting dphbio.com to reclaim your soil's fertility. Well, what does the markets look like today, Delaney? Well, markets here in the overnight, Tanner, were largely positive. Heading into opening session, new crop corns up about a penny and three quarters at 682. New crop soybeans up 12 and a half cents at 1386 and a half. December, Chicago wheat up two and a half pennies on the morning at 914. And in the livestock pits, we're seeing uh, some mixed trade here. December live cattle up 97 and a half at a buck 4802. November feeders up a dollar forty-two at one seventy-six oh five, and lean hogs. So when you look out a little bit further into the deferred contracts, are trading negatively this morning, but front month contracts are pushing their way forward with the December lean hog contract up a dollar fifty on the morning at seventy-seven seventy-two and a half Tanner. But Tanner, let's kick it over to today's interview. Yeah, this was an interesting Tech Tuesday with a company called Interplant. Let's jump into that with Shelly right now. Listeners, we have a super exciting Tech Tuesday conversation being recorded today with Ms. Shelly Aronov, co-founder and CEO of Interplant. Thank you for joining us, Shelly. Thank you, Cassidy. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So before we dive into all the big news and announcements you and Interplant have had lately, can you tell us a little bit about this company and what it does? So Interplant at its core, what we make is seed technology that enables crops to communicate what they need. And the reason that we're doing this is in order to help farmers better understand their fields and build an entire ecosystem based on this data that will help farmers just farm easily, right? for operations to be smoother, easier, less risky, and at the end of the day, be able to identify where problems starting their fields very early on, take action early on, prevent yield losses to pathogens, and be more optimal with the chemistry use that they have in the field. This is fascinating because what I've read in the articles is you're establishing an alternation to these hybrids that will send out a signal. Now, that's not like a cell phone signal that will ping your phone. It's something different, right? Yeah, it's uh, basically, it's an optical signal that is basically creating a new light. Um, and yeah, it's not something that the phone will pick up. It's something that equipment, optical equipment like spectrometers or cameras can pick up from anywhere from a satellite to a tractor in the field. And Shelly, as I understand it, y'all haven't launched this project yet. It's just been tested by farmers and starting to get ready for a soft launch. So what has the process been like getting all of this technology ready for those launches in the future? Making biotech is a lot of work. Um, And for us specifically, we have a cross-disciplinary technology, which means there's a, a few different work streams that we have to accomplish at the same time. So... Happy to dive into that a little bit. On the first, the first thing is making the trait itself. So that is essentially creating that crop that can communicate through the the new optical signals when it's under fungal pressure, 
or other stresses, but stress number us for number one for us is fungal stress for soybeans. Then alongside that, we do all of the testing of the collection of the data in the field. So that would be whether it's uh, a sensor that's close by, that would be something like a tractor, a sensor that's drive that's flying above the, the field on a drone. And then also we have a collaboration with a satellite company that we can, we'll probably announce in a few months to actually start launching different cameras to be able to collect our signals from um, sometimes the middle next year. All of that, including a lot of conversations with the inner circle members, which are are farmers that signed up early and are very involved in what we do. We talk to them a lot to understand their needs and communicate what it is we're doing with them to make sure that by the time we actually complete all of this work and we're launching the technology in 2024, we haven't got something wrong. Ideally, not something big wrong, right? So we've been communicating with the farmers a lot, with partners to make sure that we're really addressing all of their needs and providing things that they find useful. So that was a great perspective that it starts with the trait. And obviously, the goal is to develop a lot of different traits to signal for a lot of different potential issues. But how will this drive efficiency or even more sustainable crops in the future? How is this going to power that forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I like to do is kind of walk through what we do today and what we're going to be doing in a few years. And we can walk through different scenarios. Let's start with fungal pressure, right? Because it's the first uh, trait. Today, by the time that an agronomist or someone can actually see visible signs of, of fungal pressure in the field, it's already too late, right? And then what farmers try to do is they either go out to the field, they spray the entire field, but it's really so infected at that point that the product doesn't work well, or they try to stay ahead of it, right? They go out, they use timing and heuristics, and they try to figure out what's the best time to put a fungicide out there. But the data shows that in the U.S., for sure, and I think uh, we've seen similar data in South America, if you use more pesticides, you're not going to get better results on yields. So then the idea is in the future, when the farmers plant you know, plant uh, seeds or seeds with plant technology, those seeds will start communicating to the satellites at about two and a half acres when they're infected with fungus, with fungus pressure. And then from there, that information is provided to the farmers. It could be provided to the tractors. So they can go out to the field when the disease is really in the early stages, maybe five to 10 acres, verify, scan every plant, verify where the disease is exactly based on the signals that the plants are emitting that they're stressed, and then go and apply a fungicide very specifically on the area that's infected. And the two important things is that you're using less chemistry more efficiently, but you're also targeting the disease at a very early stage. And in all of the research, you can see that if you can target the disease early, the products will work way better. You can really prevent a lot of the yield losses and get better results by changing timing versus changing an active ingredient, for example. So that's really what we're trying to do. So I, it seems from y'all's announcements that this new uh, business partnership with John Deere is going to have a huge impact on helping y'all reach your goals. So can you tell us a little bit about how that partnership came about? Yeah, um, so we've been talking to John Deere for about a year now. Um, from day one, it's been really easy conversations because they are so dedicated to the vision of plant-by-plant management, so dedicated to the technologies of CN Spray and Sense and Act. And they immediately understood how 
our ability to help the plants communicate is going to feed really well into this future system. And then at some point a few months ago, the idea of them actually leaving our Series A came up. Honestly, I didn't think that was necessarily an option because Deer doesn't invest in companies normally. But we're very excited to be able to have them on our cap table, have them support the vision and really weighing into what we're doing in the early stages and be very close and involved with the company. This is exciting. I'm glad that we got the interview put together. I know with our limited knowledge, we might not have all the perfect questions. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think you hit on everything. I would just say that um, I could provide kind of a the quick ov- overview of everything that we'll be able to do. Um, so in, the idea is in the future, like you said, not necessarily even many traits, but just to see that can communicate many stresses. So we can create optical signals for different stresses. And I do envision that if we fast forward five to 10 years, a seed will be able to tell farmers everything they need, right? Anywhere from fungal pressure, insect pressure, NPK separately, and be able to provide all the information for farmers to farm based on the best data available out there. So that's really the goal is eventually a seed that can communicate to farmers everything they need connected to an ecosystem that can make that very seamless and easy for farmers. And I know you mentioned the inner circle part of Interplant, and I think some of our listeners may be interested in getting involved with that as they wait for the launch of your products. So how could they go about that? Yeah, we would love uh, more members. We currently have 75 members cover about half a million acres, and it's been just one of the best parts of building Interplants has been working with them. So we'd love to bring more members and, and be able to work with more farmers. The easiest way to reach out is on our website. Um, and then because this is this is really about working together, um, once they show interest, then we'll reach out and have a conversation with them and really talk through the details of what the community is about and, and joining, and then we can take it from there. And our website is uh, innerplant.com. Oh, this has been our pleasure having you on the podcast. We appreciate that. You taking your time and sharing this new, exciting advancement in agriculture with our listeners. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you for having us here. And there you go, Delaney. That is exactly what Tech Tuesday is all about. I'm excited to see what the future brings to where the plants could actually communicate back to us. Yes, that's super interesting, Tanner, to think that we have the technology to start doing things like that. Absolutely. Listeners, we appreciate you listening while you are in the field and uh, wouldn't mind it if you would share this with people you're working with, your family and friends. Make sure you find us on social media, Ag News Daily, every day to try and keep you up on the latest information. But for today, Delaney, what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.